Um, let's pray. Let's get us started and looking at the Word, and let's pray. Father God, this morning, I just, uh, I just pray for this morning, Lord. Um, I pray for the message. I always, uh, always find the opportunities and the, and the times to teach or preach that, Father, it's, it's such a sacred moment. And there's so many things going on in the world that, in our lives, that can press in and cause us to be distracted. And how ironic, Father, between you and me, how ironic this morning that the passage we're looking at is the passage that we are today. And it's just a simple reminder, Father, in the midst of all of the noise of the world, the, the focus of our lives is, is, is Jesus. It's him crucified. And Father, we would not be here this morning. We would have no hope, no hope without Christ. Sometimes we think in the middle of our of our circumstances, of all the things around us, if they would just kind of fall in place, then everything would be fine. And the reality is they won't. Not without Christ and not him crucified. And even as Paul, you know, the Apostle Paul, and Lord, it seems so bold, and someone who always seemed to have a ready word, and yet he says he came uh, in fear and trembling. So many times, Father, we, we have to find ourselves that we're a people of faith, a people of trust, and we trust in you, and we rest in you. And it's so easy for us, Father, in the, the criticalness of our hearts, the way that we look at things and the way that we perceive things, that we miss the simplicity of the gospel and the simplicity of its impact in our lives and the foundation that we rest on. So God, I ask today that you just speak to us, your people. Even, even in the fear and the trembling and the uncertainties where uh, the known iniquities of the servant, that you would go past those, Father, and you would speak to us. That we would not be a people, Father, who kind of wander about in this world and just kind of waiting for the end or just to accomplish our own pleasure or pursue our own interests, but the Father to realize that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation and the Lord, the power of the gospel is immense and the Father, you would use us for your glory and your purposes in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I um, kind of began with that Looked at Romans, it was the uh, voice of the martyrs, martyr, martyrs. I'm going to be one of those martyrs mornings for me. Um, and we, it was the International Day of, of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So we prayed for the church. There's a table out there as you leave. We still have material on it. On it. You can pick some of that up today and so forth. Um, so last week we talked about the gospel. And I remember when I came to Christ... I was pretty excited about Jesus, and so what I did is I went, got all my friends, and I got them all on a hood of this car in our neighborhood, okay, and they're all sitting there, and I'm telling them they need Jesus, and if one of them tried to get off, I physically reminded them that they needed to stay on the car until they received Jesus. They needed to say the prayer and receive Jesus, right? Um, I thought about that, and even I can remember as a young man when when uh, I wasn't following the Lord, and we'd go down to the skating ring, and there was a group of people that came from the church near us, and they were over there evangelizing all of us lost 
wayward sinners that we were. And I can remember they would get a hold of us, and I remember some of us figured out the easier way to get rid of them wasn't to listen to them. It was just to say, okay, what do we got to do? What do we got to pray? All right, let's pray the prayer, and we go on. And I can remember, I, I don't know this to be a fact, but I can remember thinking, I bet they go back and look at their statistics and, hey, we led 80 to Christ. There were only 60 kids there, but we led 80 to Christ tonight because we were just saying the prayer. Because that became the goal, was just, was just to say the prayer or just to get people to pray the prayer. How do you respond? That's how I learned. I mean, the church that I was in, that I came to Christ in, for which I'm so thankful. Praise God for them. But I can remember hearing the leaders talk about it being a revolving door church that people would come in and people would go out. It would just kind of go in and out. But the number one thing we did is we, we evangelized. We shared the gospel. And then I remember in working in the restaurant business, and I remember many times having the opportunity to share my faith. And I remember two guys by the name of Ryan and Brian. They were, they were amazing. In fact, I almost didn't hire them because... because when they came to interview, I was pretty convinced that they weren't, uh, they were buzzed, if you know what I mean. And I was sitting there and I was like, I remember getting up and going to my manager. My manager says, we got to hire 50 people. He saw them walking in. He looked at me, he said, hire them. And I got up and I went back and I said, hey, look, I don't think we should hire these guys. I don't think they're in their right minds. I mean, they weren't crazy or anything, but I knew they were smoking or drinking something. You go out there and you hire them. All right, I hired them. Um, it was a few months later that I began to build a relationship with them. I began to share Christ with them. And I can remember one night after we closed, I was the closing manager at the time. One night after we closed, we were there until like 2 in the morning, 2.30. The phone was ringing. This was in the day when you didn't have text messages and cell phones. So the phone was ringing. Well, I'm not answering after a certain, certain time. And then all of a sudden we hear someone banging at the back door and I'm like, okay, this isn't good. I'm, you know, I just don't put up with that kind of stuff. And they go, I remember they were going, we've been talking about the scriptures and they go, oh, don't worry about it. We got all the alcohol in the back of our car. We're supposed to show up to this party. They're wanting us to come. But hey, we asked you this and they just went right back talking about the word. And I thought, how cool is that? You know, and sharing the gospel. Um, when we moved, Lydia and I, when we moved, uh, they showed up to help us move. Um, few years later, I got a call from, from Brian, uh, Ryan, and Ryan said, hey, Greg, um, reminded me who he was. I hadn't forgotten. He said, I just want you to know, um, I'm married, I got a child, and I received Christ, and I'm working with the youth in my church. How powerful. Yet, I would tell you, more times than not, I've had, like, the guy who one time we knocked on his door because his mother visited our church. And he opens the door and he's wearing nothing but short pants and no shirt, no, you know, you know, just the short pants. And we tell him who we are and where we're from. And he just goes, he doesn't say anything. He just shuts the door on our face. And I've probably had that happen more times than I had people respond to the good news. And it makes it intimidating sometimes. And Paul, when he's writing to this church in Corinthians, and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians and we're going to really start in chapter 1, verse 18. When Paul writes to this church, he's addressing a church that's having a hard time breaking away from its culture and its immaturity. There was people within the church we see in the first chapter that were starting to identify with different teachers. Some were saying, hey, I'm of Apollos. Some were saying, I'm of Paul. Some were saying, I was of Peter. 
And, you know, the really super spiritual, I'm of Christ, right? And what had happened is they began to create divisions within the church and cliques, you know, like, hey, we got the real truth over here. We're following the real thing here. And it started dividing in it. And Paul says, I'm so glad I didn't baptize except for, and he names two or three that he could remember, that you would, that you would boast about me being baptized by me because when I came, I came preaching nothing but Christ and him crucified. I didn't come with persuasive words or great oratory, but I came preaching the gospel, the words of Jesus Christ. In fact, he says in verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with the words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I often think of that, that these verses when I think in my own life, and many times that I've shared the gospel, some of you, when I preach, you, you respond and you say, wow, I learned so much, and I walk away and I just thank God for that. Because I'm not really sure how that happens sometimes. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how this, this mystery of the proclamation of the gospel happens. It's an, it's an act of trusting in Christ. Whether I'm sharing the gospel with my friends in school or my neighbor or someone I work with, it's, a, it's the power of God and it's a dependence on him to use that message. It's not in my abilities. It's in his abilities. It's in a total dependence upon him. In verse 18, Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When he talks about the words of the, of the cross, he's talking about the gospel, the fullness of the redemptive power and the redemptive work of God in our lives. When you think about the gospel, when you think about the message of the cross, it, it, just, it just hits, cuts right through the heart of self-centeredness. It's about Christ. And the straightforward message or presentation of the word of God, of the word of the cross, of the gospel, it, it drives some to one direction and others to another. In fact, it's interesting in this passage, this presentation. He drives some to, that consider it foolishness to the lost and some to the, the power of God to those who are being saved. But it's the present tense. So it's, it's a picture that as the, the message is being explained to the one who call, considers it foolishness, it is leading him presently to destruction. It's leading him away from, from salvation, away from truth. And to the one who believes, the one who understands it, he, it's the power of God bringing them to the gospel, to, to righteousness, to, we're going to look at, to justification, to redemption, to sanctification. And some of you are like, Greg, those are really big words. What are you talking about? I'm talking about our righteous standing before God because of the work of Jesus, because Jesus stepped out, because of what he did in his, as he became the one who stood in our place, the propitiation of our sins, that by his blood, God's wrath was, was satisfied. His judgment was ripped, wiped away because of what Christ had done, whereby he redeemed us out of death and sin and redeemed us to life. 
The power of the gospel to one drives them one direction and they consider it foolishness and it drives another one another direction into the power of God, into the righteousness of Christ. It's the reality of the truth that we hold to declare, be declared by God the righteous, but to the one who's perishing, it's foolishness. You need to understand that. Students over there, you just had a great weekend, but understand something. When you go to your schools, you're going to run into people who think the faith of the gospel is foolishness. You work, you, you work with people. You have people in your family. You, you're around people. And sometimes it's intimidating because they think and they call you foolish for believing what is true. I'll never forget Sam. When I shared the gospel with him, how many times? I was so convinced. He had a master's in philosophy. I always told him that screwed him up. <laughs> I like philosophy. I think it's really cool. But. And I'll never forget that day where he's following me, and Sam was a big man. I mean, he made me look small, and there wasn't an ounce of fat on him either. He was this huge man. And I'll never forgive it, forget him following me around the job site. It was just him and I. And he's yelling at me, Greg, you're, you're too smart for this. You're too smart to believe this about Jesus. You're too smart to believe this gospel. You're too smart. That's foolishness. That was his actual words. Yes, the world at times is going to respond that way, but we are a people who trust in God. We are a people who understand the power of God at work. He says, for the word of Christ in verse 18 is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The distinction in my life has nothing to do with my accomplishments. The distinction in my life has everything to do with what Christ accomplished. It's the power of God in my life. In fact, he goes on in verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. He's quoting Isaiah here, chapter 29, verse 14. And it's in the context of what he's talking about is that, that Israel had gone to, to Egypt and, and made, a, made a bond with Egypt, a, a covenant with them, that they would protect them from Assyria from attacking, attacking. They did this out of their own wisdom. When God was telling them to trust in him. And it was God's miraculous hand that delivered them, not Egypt. And so many times in our lives we look at these things and we think somehow in in the midst of all of our circumstances, that the wisdom of humanity, the, the, the clout of humanity will somehow solve its way. We just need to think more positive. We just need to be more about ourselves. We, just, we have all these ideas about the way that the world should operate. And in the process, we hear the gospel and we consider it foolishness. God forbid. God forbid that we would trust there. Because to believe that is to go down a path of destruction. And Paul goes on in verse 20. He says, where is the one who is wise? The one who thinks he's, he's full of wisdom. Where is the scribe? That was the teacher of the law. He was a, Jesus, a Jewish professional who was skilled in the law and often in the technicalities of it, he emphasized. He goes on, where is the debater of this age? was someone who wanted to, to dispute every issue and solve it by human reasoning. Where are they? 
You see, something we have to understand, dear people of God, when you walk in this room today, please hear this word, something we have to understand is that the brilliance of man cannot appreciate the plan of God. It isn't whether we, in our brilliance and our understanding, that if we just have more and more brilliance, if we just have more and more clout, if we just had more and more maybe good upbringing, whatever you want to add there, then somehow we would understand the plan of God. We can't appreciate the plan of God without the power of God and the work of his son. God said, my ways where my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. It's not a self-confident knowledge. It's not intellect. It's not scholarship, but a humble faith in Jesus Christ that takes a person down the narrow, narrow way. It's when we understand that Paul says it was God's good purpose to save those who believe by the seemingly foolish process of preaching the gospel. and preach the message of Christ. How God works is, in, is beyond me and the proclamation of his truth. He goes on, he says there in verse 21, he says, for since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what, pre was what we preach to save those who believe. He's not saying preaching is folly, He's saying that those who would look at it and see it as falling, as full foolishness, they did not understand. In fact, he goes on in verse 22, he says, the Jew demands signs and Greeks to uh, seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, he's saying, as he goes on, he says, hey, the, the, the Jews looking for the miraculous signs. I mean, wasn't that what they were saying to Jesus in John chapter 6? Hey, Moses, he provided, he provided manna. He provided every day. What, what are you doing? And Jesus had just fed the 5,000. But it wasn't enough. What about the Greeks and the wisdom? Because they, they sought wisdom and knowledge because somehow they thought they would find the answers to life and the questions and, and that they asked through knowledge and wisdom, not through God, not through his word. And Paul says that the task of preaching that he had was that he did not come to try to win you with the great wisdom of preaching or the great oracle were great arguments of philosophy. He says he came and he preached Christ crucified. The simple message of the gospel and the truth of God. And to the unsaved Jew, this message of crucified Christ was a stumbling block. It was an offense. They expected a deliverer. They expected a, a king that would come and, and conquer Rome and, and take away all of these things. And there, therefore, Jesus on the cross was, was, a, was a stumbling block. To the non-Jewish world, it was foolishness. I mean, criminals died on the cross. How could the cross provide any help towards them in salvation? How can you look at someone who would die the death of the lowest of criminals 
and figure somehow that he would be a savior. And Christ humbled himself and he came even to the death of the cross. To the world, they scream, foolish. To us, we know it's the power of God. In fact, in verse 24, he says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, to those who are called, it was not on the terms of humanity that salvation was initiated. It was on the terms of God. Please understand that. You can change the gospel and all you want. You can change the scriptures all you want. You can make it easier for people to be saved. You can do all of those things. It doesn't make them saved because salvation was not initiated by us. It was initiated by God. God sent his son. God sent his son in the world who dwelled among us and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Salvation is only through him. Preaching Christ crucified, God opened the eyes of those who would have faith and believe in the gospel. You see, in verse 25, he goes on and he says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It doesn't mean that God is foolish or God has this weakness. It just means if you took the smallest, least significant thought of God, it is so much wiser than all the plans of the wisest of men. God has complete control and fully accomplishes all of his purposes. He, his powerful acts and his thoughts are consistent. And in comparison, the thoughts and the ways of humanity are nothing. The seemingly insignificance of, re of redemption to them as foolishness is of greater and more effective than all of the mighty acts of humanity. It's an amazing thing. Paul goes on, he says to the Corinthians, he says, For consider your calling, brethren. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Verse 27, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might, might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That is an amen. That is, a, that is amen. God didn't choose. It doesn't mean we're foolish or, or all of those things, but God did not choose us based on the prominence of our lives. But according to his grace, that none of us can stand in his presence and say, yeah, well, you know, God, I know you needed me on your team, right? And we laugh. God turned the standards of the world just literally upside down, choosing what is ordinary and using the greatness of his power in their lives that no one would boast before them. I mean, just look at the 12. 
think about it. These were not the men of the day that everybody looked at and went, huh, I want to be like them. They were the men of the day that God chose to use for his glory and his purpose and the power of God's work in their lives turned the world upside down. And it's no different for you. Yes, we tremble and we fear in the message of the uh, that God has given us in the ministry of reconciliation, we, 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 we grow fearful sometimes. Because we're not looking at Christ, we're looking at ourselves. We're looking at what we're doing. We're afraid of our words. We're afraid we might say something wrong. We're afraid that this might not work out a certain way because we're not trusting Christ. The power of the message isn't us. The power of the message is Jesus Christ. And it's the work of the cross. And because of it, you are experiencing, if you're here today and you know Christ and you received him into your life, you're experiencing the righteousness of God because you've been justified. You're experiencing sanctification where God is setting you apart unto holiness, setting you apart to himself. You're experiencing redemption because you've been redeemed from sin and death. We don't fear that anymore because of the righteousness of Christ and the victory we have. Because he's alive, I know that I will live too. And those that are redeemed must realize that salvation is all of the grace of God. I brought nothing. I stand here with nothing today but Christ. I have nothing but Christ. You have nothing but Christ. And that is enough. That is enough to change a world, to change the life of somebody else in all of eternity through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's not through human wisdom, it's not through human strength or worldly position that we are saved, but only through the grace and the wise plan of God and accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, you know what? Let the people of God boast in Christ. Real quick, verses one through five of chapter two, I was worried about this a little bit today. And he says, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of the Lord with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul does not argue that somehow since salvation was attained through wisdom or through the might, but simply through the cross. And when he came to them, he came in dependence on God to simply preach Christ crucified. He did not depend on his speech. He did not depend on his crafted message. He depended on the testimony of God. Understand that. When we're talking about witnessing and sharing our faith, when we're talking about building relationships with others in order to be able to share the hope that we have in Christ. We're not talking about something that we have to come masters at. We're talking about a people who are dependent on Christ, dependent on him to use the power of his word. And that the message of the cross is, is still effective to bring people to forgiveness, to, for, to the, bring forgiveness to sinners. 
In verse three, he goes on, he, he says, for I decided, in verse two, I'm sorry, for he decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I know we don't like, we only want to talk about Jesus' love, right? God, he is love. Praise God for the love of God. But it did not come easily, what Jesus did. It cost him his life. And the death on the cross and the shame that goes with it. And he willingly, he wasn't forced. He wasn't walked down by a bunch of soldiers and made. He willingly laid down his life. Verse 3, and he says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Boy, we all can relate to that verse, can't we? He didn't come as a, as a confident, overbearing person. He came as a frail, insignificant human being to them. And we do too. He doesn't present a message in a way that somehow shows this confidence is overpowering. But he came with great fear and great trembling in dependence of the Holy Spirit to use him because he realized the importance of preaching the eternal gospel. He says there in verse 4, in my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The power of the message, the demonstration of the Spirit and dependence. I know I tell people sometimes, and they, they, they say to me all the time, I mean, I don't believe that, Greg, I just don't see that. And every week before I preach, I am scared to death. And I'm not afraid of you, unfortunately. I wish I was a little more. I'm afraid the Spirit doesn't show up. I'm afraid God doesn't speak. The words that we're speaking, they're not mine. I don't want them to be mine. I'm not that wise. I'm not that smart. I want God to move among his people. I want him to speak to us. I want, and I don't want to be the reason why God doesn't speak this morning. My heart breaks many times. Every week I think, okay, Lord, this is the last week. Please, no more. Sometimes I just look at that. And then you humble yourself and you say, Lord, please, just please use me. Let me trust your message. And how is that any different in witnessing? We come, we come and we have that friend and we know they need the gospel. And we're afraid. We're afraid of their judgment. We're afraid that we'll look like fools. We're afraid that our words aren't going to be right. We're afraid of all of these different things. And the reality is it should drive us. Oh, God, please, please use the message. For I know the gospel because I know you saved me. It's the importance, the reality of the message is the importance of the eternality that it brings in a person's life. It takes him from death to life. And the message of the gospel, that's why Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. By the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Have you ever thought about that? If God hadn't revealed his righteousness, we wouldn't know what sin was. But if God hadn't revealed his righteousness, we wouldn't be saved. 
we wouldn't know about his plan. He goes on and then he says in the last part, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see all of us that we just said those quick prayers? We, we, weren't, we weren't resting in the power of God. But yet I remember when I came to faith and I received Christ into my life and my life was never the same. And God just kept working and faith kept growing in me. And I understood the power of God and the gospel, and the gospel began to change my life. It generated in my life, life through his son, Jesus Christ. And when I began to understand my life is Christ, that my life is hidden in him. What is life without Christ? There is no life without Christ. It is Christ and him crucified. The substance of their belief of all that they were was on the person of Jesus Christ. It was not the wisdom of men, but the power of God in their life. We come here today not because of the wisdom of men. We come because of the truth of God and the work and the power of God unto salvation. We sit here and we understand this reality and we take it with us when we go. And we are in fear and we are in trembling, but we believe in a God that is all-powerful who is able to use the least of this world to confound the wise of this world. And he's able to use us to do things that no one else can do because, because only he provides salvation in Jesus Christ. Dear people of God, may we learn to be bold in our faith, not because we're great in what we do, but because we believe in a great God. And we believe in a God that is able to sustain us and use us in a way that we never could think or imagine, that we would rest in him. And when we share his faith, yes, there's going to be some who are going to count us as foolish. He's not, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting him. And we need to be a people trusting in him. Well, let's pray. If you're, I'll just say this in case whoever comes up after don't remember. We do need help out there moving those boxes, okay, if you're able to help. Let's pray. Father, um, speak to us, your people. Maybe there's someone here this morning, Father, who has never trusted Christ, never taken that step of faith and made today, Father, that would be a day where they would trust in you, they would come to that place and they would rest in the work of Jesus Christ. Father, many that are here that know Christ and have received him in their lives, and Father, we all struggle at times with the work of the ministry of reconciliation. We find ourselves fearful and uncertain. It's so much easier to sit around and talk with all those that believe like us, Father, but there's a lost world out there. And if today, Father, every person in Mansfield wanted to come to church, we don't have enough seats. That means there's many that need to hear the message. Father, give us boldness. But Father, give us faith and dependence in you to work and to use us for your glory as only you can do. In Christ's name, amen.